I find that our podcast is more like, you know, it's kind of like Top Gun Maverick. You have to be Goose. <laughs> well, it's because he never did well in a cockpit, and I just don't fit him. So, yes. <laughs> Welcome to another Spotted Goats podcast. Although, uh, if you listen to our previous episode, which, by the way, it is required listening. So, if you have not had a chance yet to listen to the episode right before this one, where we introduced you, Jennifer Parecki. Uh, she uh, is an expert in all things sounding smarter than me, for sure. Uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, we had a, we've started a wonderful conversation with Jennifer, and we're going to continue that on narcissism and its effects, its uh, how its its uh, incarnation in society. And uh, we wanted we wanted to give this conversation the time that it was due. So I know that you've been waiting for a while for the rest of this conversation. Uh, I appreciate your patience. It is uh, well worth the wait. It is absolutely well worth the wait. So no dad jokes today or anything like that. I just wanted to make sure that we flew uh, straight into the continuing conversation. So Jennifer, thanks for staying with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a lovely. Uh, deep conversation, isn't it? Isn't it? So, it is. So I wanted to go ahead and kick us off with where I want us to go here, because once again, I know, let's cook the grits. Um, I want to be very practical as much as we can with with things like this, because anybody that's listening to a podcast about narcissism, uh, there look there's a lot of where the rubber hits the road type mm-hmm. stuff going on. Yep. Um, so what I wanted to talk about, or what I want us to look at first, is Jennifer, in your experience as a survivor and in your experience as a clinician, uh, what, how does narcissism, let's talk about the effects of narcissism on the people that are subjected to it. Let's, let's, how does it affect those that are involved? I'm glad you went there first. That was on top of my list. Um, because I think where I fired myself from uh, the the family role that I was playing, which took a really long time. So as I consider um, my client, my client seeker souls that come into my office or people who are just being um, kind of drained by this experience that they can't quite pin down and they feel like it's, it's them. Um, and partially it could be, and I'll explain that in a moment, um, because I read this wonderful book that I highly recommend as kind of a baseline for most people who want to explore narcissism, The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists by Eleanor Payson. Um, and Great title, The there Man are, Behind there the Curtain. There are plenty of other good works on this, but uh, from, from my own personal journey, which was also a therapeutic journey, which I was also always converting into the professional space, um, what I learned is that the hero caretaker child of the family um, starts to wear its own brand of narcissism. So hang with me on that because okay. it's it's a subtlety that the idea that if I just do enough, then I can change this person. The narcissistic idea there is that I have enough power and control myself to and and my performance, my doing. Um, my good nature, my showing up the way that person wants me to um, is a way of kind of managing, and it's my own version of manipulation. Okay, so the corruption of narcissism 
I mean, we could spend days considering how it sneaks into the corners of just about anything and everything. And when I saw that piece in black and white, I said, okay, I'm fired. I am firing myself (laughs) because I do not want to wear those. I do not want those traits to travel with me. And that was a moment of reckoning, and I've had several having to do with these core themes that have traveled with me in life, which I see constantly in clients. I'm always watching for what are those few themes that are just going to travel with you throughout time that God is going to use to transform you. So it's not just that we conquer them, we solve them, we fix them, we find relief. It's that we stay curious about how God is going to use the very things you do not want to see about (laughs) yourself to show you him and his love for you in all of these nuanced fashions. Okay, so I remember where I was sitting and I said, God, I'm firing myself I'm backing away from this role because I'm now realizing, number one, I'm not helping anybody because everybody's still the same. Number two, I am st- I, I identify with these traits of caretaking narcissism. I'm starting to see how this is impacting me on a personality level that I had no idea was the case, unfortunately, which is really unfortunate for a therapist to learn that something significant has kind of escaped her. Mm-hmm. So there's all of this, um, I don't know, struggle and challenge with uh, being um, persistently self-reflective. And as the caretaking narcissist, I felt I needed to fire myself. And I gave it to God. <laughs> I said, you let me know when I'm supposed to step in in a way that serves these people healthfully. But until then, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to restore myself from the role that I've played in supporting this narcissistic system. You literally just said that you took step one of the 12 steps. Yes, I am powerless to change. And only something higher, so only something more powerful <laughs> than myself can, can get me out of this. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I'm just I'm, I'm just sitting here. Yeah, that, and that, we've said this before, but our conversations on this show are never scripted. Uh, this is just a long form. This is once again, Jennifer. So you know, when we have these conversations, Jeff and I, we literally do this podcast just like we have conversations on my porch. So sometimes we have these just boom moments smoke here. Yeah, a little yeah. less smoke here. Uh, <laughs> but um, cigars, everybody, calm down. Uh, but. <laughs> But I just find that so interesting that the first thing that you have to do to, once you realize its effect, is to say, I can't do anything about Mm-mm. this. That's right. So I have to, to kind of lean on some experiences that I've had in my personal life. When I've had these moments of, I guess, declarative surrender, maybe that's oh, what I'd we call it. I love that. Um, you know, I'm taking the stand, I'm firing myself. And I'm surrendering to him. I tend to feel the heat turn up when that happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that is part of the struggle with the, the narcissistic cycle there. You know, I've been used. I've been consumed. I've been told I have no value. I dig a little deeper. I deal with the shame. I'm trying to get back to the garden. And then all of a sudden I say, you know what? 
Isaiah 43, yeah, it actually has some meaning. I, I have value. He knows my name, and I matter, not because I'm caretaking, not because I'm filling somebody else's need, but just because I am his. That's mm-hmm. it. And so by being his, I have value, and then the heat turns up. So here, but here's What do my... I do with that? <laughs> well, it, it's a long walk to that point. Yep. You know, the I guess my first question is: I loved in the previous episode. I loved your analogy of uh, the mortar, mm-hmm. the the church in the in the case of the uh, narcissistic pastor. The church was the mortar. The thing about you know what, what? that that's the theology police. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. It's They're been on fun. The way to shut us down. It's been fun. Or is it just calling attention? Oh Lord, Mm-mm. careful now. Uh, this is ha- this is life with Jeff, everybody. Um, so, but poor Rachel. The ch- yeah, that's so bad for your life. Um, the uh, with the with the mortar holding the church together. Okay, we're talking about effects on those around the narcissist. Okay? Yeah, and I know a lot of you who listen to this show. You know, we've we've done a lot of talk about deconstruction, for example. So you're used to conversations around church, around mm-hmm. Christianity. Um, so this is going to be one of those, uh, one of those nearby points. One of the things you notice about mortar with a, especially on older buildings is after a while, it begins to chip away and it begins to stop being able to serve its purpose if the building is under too much stress. Mm. And so in, in your opinion, Jeff, obviously, please chime in, um, how does the power structure, this type of power structure at a church, how does it flesh out in its people? And how do our and if there are people out there that are listening, wondering, am I in one of those systems? Uh, is not not just is my husband, but is my pastor? Is my is my boss? Because mm. there are look, there are without going into specifics, mm-hmm. there are there are business leaders who take on the mantle of Christ. Mm-hmm who execute this same mentality to get their influence. There are those in this situation, uh, the people, what we consider lay members, that are wondering, you know, am I in this situation? How can they tell? Like, it's got to be affecting them, so how does it affect them? You make a great point. I'm just kind of trying to slice and dice it a little bit from the standpoint of the mortar piece is... is um, it is an effective metaphor from the standpoint of how it filled the gaps in in uh, in the brokenness in uh, an unhealthy family dynamic. So where family systems interface with church systems, you have well, we have a multiplicity of systems everywhere at all times. But for instance, if there is a family system where there is a dependent and there was someone trending narcissistic then the um, messaging of the pastor who may or the minister or the preacher who may acquire these traits or or may be malignant malignant with these traits, I would imagine um, the uh, different um, postures in the couple would feel different things if there is um, – a narcissistic spouse who hears from a narcissistic pastor, how will that um, messaging be mined to use against the other spouse on the home front? Okay, so those are the 
the subtly degrading effects of narcissism within Christendom, in my opinion, or mm-hmm. how it's infiltrated the power stru- what I would say is the power structure aspect of the ministry. So I was reflecting upon how dependence um, might feel, or or people who are not narcissistic, if they're if they are sensing um, that they're being shamed or uh, made to feel guilty, um, kind of as a constant. There's like a, it can be very subtle, like a constant diminishment of your value before God. Or there is a uh, lengthy list of standards that you need to meet um, in order to be acceptable, a la conditional acceptance. Um, These are just two three trends but i'm envisioning a setting where um because again this traveled with me into other settings where um there was malignant narcissism in the um pastoral role and my my from my kind of observing slash participating slash therapeutic role um position I felt like the congregation as a whole kind of felt slimed by guilt and they and it was um, kind of phantom like so they couldn't quite pin down where it was coming from what it was about but it was present and they better get their act together and they better figure it out and they better get on their knees so they start to feel poorly about themselves um, and so. there's a huge difference though I, w- I want to draw a distinction by the way, because we're also not absolving people from personal conviction. No, so, there is so, a difference. So I want to make sure, at least, and, and I'm speaking ignorantly, but informed. <laughs> um, <laughs> you mentioned purposeful diminishment of value. That is a purposeful act from a position of power. Mm-hmm. That is different, in my opinion. That is very different from personal conviction about one's own behaviors. Exactly. Uh, I think that that second part is huge in our Christian experience and our in our mm-hmm. following experience. It's a big part of it. You know, you can feel shame about your behavior and then do something about it and change. That's personal. Absolutely. Yeah. But it can't come from a position of power constantly to control your actions. And it's yeah, and it's and it's it can even be cloaked in for you to recognize this about yourself within the corporate experience of a congregation is a way of kind of it's a, it's a it's a real distortion on submission. It just has a lot of tentacles that we could really get down the rabbit hole on. But um, that has been my experience. The antidote continues to be, if I have personal conviction, it might mean that I have a personal relationship that is ongoing and outside of the um, construct of my worship experience and how I serve within the church and the community that I experience within the church. I am devoted to that personal relationship. Um, and in fact, church is the place where I, from that personal relationship, I feel prompted to express what I've learned in that dynamic. And so um, that's where I think uh, we can be um, uh, really discerning of what is ours to own and uh, what he is convicting us of, right? Do I need a third party to convict me or do I need to have clarity before my God and he will convict me? It's almost like that's the role of the Holy Spirit in the first place. Thank what? you. Yeah. But who needs the Holy Spirit when you've got a mega pastor? 
You feel better? Me. (laughs) (laughs) You. (laughs) I think, uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, in in the churches of my youth, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Right. That was the quiet guy in the corner we pretended wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, that ends up being some of the most high-control situations in our past. I wonder why they don't want me to know him. Mm. There's just too much freedom. There is. And I think it's interesting that that the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the counselor. Right. Yes. Wait, what? Calm down, guys. Yes. Calm down. <laughs> and Jesus is the healer, and God refers hmm. to himself as the healer. He How refers to himself as the instructor, the teacher. You've mastered the art of the segue. So first of all, on a personal level, how do we heal? If you've been a victim of narcissism and you fired yourself, or if you or if you're trying to fire yourself, um, how do we what are the steps give give the give the people that just need to know what to do how do we help here how do we believe heal? repent Pent, confess yeah. oh, <laughs> oh my goodness sorry i shouldn't have but i did and no we're not discounting any of that so no yes no we believe in yes so how do the we um the 10 the 10 i don't know this i was going to say the sixth sense but i feel like they have they're far more sensitive of a narcissistic um um, individual will feel the differentiation of someone close to them starting to recognize um, that they might need some space or some distance. So to your earlier point, Jeff, um, to prepare a person for, oh, there will be resistance to this change. Mm-hmm. They are not going to go quietly. And um, they will they will seize upon this vulnerable state you're in to become more self, if you will, in a healthy mm-hmm. way. And usually people who are in proximity to narcissists are de-selfed, so they have no self. Their self has been hollowed out, Mm -hmm. and they have become so fused, they can't see themselves as separate or individuated from the narcissist. So to even start down that path is is a tall order, and it's not for the faint at heart. From the standpoint of first, there's going to be a lot of, of fear, I'm I'm normally getting very strategic with people who are making moves in this direction um, because the resistance is fierce. The narcissist will want the person to stay right where they are, mm-hmm. and they will feel very threatened by the outsider who might be helping uh, to disrupt this dynamic. And that can have a lot of implications that I think are therapy-worthy considerations. But for sure, there is fear because there's not there's a depleted self um, that has to kind of self themselves, mm-hmm. and that takes some effort and some space that's theirs. Okay, so they have to establish enough space to even start to examine who they are. Oh, but then the guilt comes in. Okay, the guilt from creating that separation, and this is something I've taken with me from my own experience and I use constantly in the work, um, is that guilt is like its own um, drug, if you will, that when guilt comes on the scene for me as the caretaking narcissist in the family because I am not doing enough, um, my ability to hold fast to the path that I know is healthy, which is more autonomy, some distance, not as much um, dependent service, um, that guilt is crippling 
at first. It's the it's it's the own inner um, resistance that shows up immediately. And I've had people who have had chronic illness and uh, need pain medication tell me that to go through the emotional detox of stepping away from a narcissistic player in their lives is more difficult than detoxing off of pain medication. Okay, so, and I've experienced that. <laughs> Uh, firsthand in terms of what the guilt, how the guilt ravaged me. So I needed a program, literally a strategy developed around how to weather that and how to say no to that guilt, knowing that that guilt was part of the manipulative residue of the dynamic that was going to pull me right back in. Mm -hmm. If I feel guilty because I'm not going to call this person within a three hour window, because I'm imagining this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen how do i unhook myself from that i need a program of a kind that says if guilt is on the scene i am not responding anyway because if guilt is on the scene it means i'm feeling obligated it's not about my choice which means i am not in a self enough place to make a choice so detoxing from the guilt that immediately comes next is its own journey and that's really challenging in my opinion Opinion. So if I were to kind of recount what we've talked about, we've talked about this abuse cycle. Yes. Um, I've entered a relationship with a narcissist. Um, a lot of the literature, more the pop literature, refers to love bombing, right? So the narcissist wins over the partner, the person that's going to be consumed, employee, parishioner, spout, whatever. Um, and so I'm now in this relationship I start to get devalued that I'm no longer the person that I was. And then it goes to the point of, well, the only reason you have value is because of me. So now we're fused. And then the individual who has been consumed for whatever reason says, hold on, this is something's not working for me. And they make a stand. They make a, a declaration that, no, no, I have value. In a spiritual sense, this might be where it, you, you hear a song at church that talks about your value. You see a scripture that talks about your value. You know, let's be real today. The Chosen's going around everywhere. I see an episode of The Chosen pop up on Netflix, and I go, okay, wait a minute. I have value. And then what I'm hearing is, is be ready because fear is going to show up. Can I stand on my own? Can I separate and then when we start to notice that, yes, I can, the guilt shows up. And so what I've heard now is the next step is continue down the path. Continue finding yourself. Continue turning within. Bring the pain from inside out. Turn to your God. He's there. The Spirit is there. You've been given this gift as a believer that the counselor is there with you. The helper that was left behind as Jesus went back is there and that we should continue down that path. Because if we turn back, we start all over. We then become part of the system and the cycle again. And so correct me if I get that wrong, but as I've listened and heard you two talk, that is the journey that I've heard. Now, I think what this brings up next is this does not sound like a journey that is specific to either gender or whatever gender today, mm -hmm. male, female, black, white, boy, girl, doesn't matter that this is a journey that 
can be required of anyone. Um, and so I think that that's very, very uh, key is that narcissism is not a male only problem. And I bet if you've been listening to this episode and the previous, when we start talking about the narcissistic personality, you pictured a guy in a suit. Uh-huh. Um, so talk about that. Are, are we wrong? Um, how does that, are there, I mean, there, there may be some tendencies. I don't know. So talk about that. Okay. So right off the bat, I would say I'm going to defer to the resources that I'm going to give you for people to do a deeper dive on this. And I'm going to give you the distilled principle. Okay. okay. A distilled principle, um, after 23 years of observing the human condition and learning how it manifests in these particular dynamics, um, it is often thought that um, mothers of sons, um, mothers who are, let's say, who trend narcissistic, um, who pedestalize their sons, who perhaps elevate their sons because of their own broken marriage and start to set the table for um, the son to be the stand-in spouse. Um, this son can do no wrong. Okay, so this is where the grandiosity gets started. They cannot acknowledge that they have done something wrong and they cannot make repair. So, I, you know, I, I haven't, as I've said in the last episode, I wow. think, dove deeply <laughs> into the research of late. But that is where I, I come from. Men are often primed by the, the mother to be the... And, you know, I say I try to say this with great care because I understand, conversely, that mothers are often they often take the hit for just near about everything in the therapy space. Okay, so there is a specific manifestation here, though, that we are talking about, and so I, I see that play out over and over and over again. I'm looking for the trend line of where was the female priming for the male's narcissist down the generational tree, and it's usually readily available um, and easy to see. So, um, and 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 to your point that uh, yes, we have to go within and we have to do that inner healing. But because of the specific nature of some of these items, um, support can be limited in terms of, you know, are therapists able to, like, I would not call myself a specialist in narcissism. Mm -hmm. There are those that exist. Um, and they often exist to work with the narcissist, uh, but guides that understand um, how this impacts spouses, male and female, and um, that it may require... Um, significant means in terms of potentially ending a relationship you know how does the culture the healing culture of the church come around those people because then we have um, again a multiplicity of complications that are generational um, and I am very pro-marriage and I am very pro-discerning divorce trauma in my clients' lives because that is very real and hardly ever spoken of anymore. However, I, um, I'm pretty clear also that um, if there is a developed narcissist in a marriage, um, we have to be examining um, 
I'm reflecting on an earlier conversation we had today, Nathan, uh, just reflecting on what is the nature of marriage at that point when the narcissist has used that um, construct to exploit and abuse another person, mm-hmm. male or female, and I've seen it go both ways. So um, The spouse is a tool and the children are trophies. Yes. Mm. So it's it's challenging. Yeah. And... Those trophies better shine, by the way. Exactly. You have to keep them on the shelf. That metaphor has got mileage on it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, 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 obviously very hard on, you know, sons who cannot um, come to their mother for comfort because of the power, control, manipulation, expectation. And I mean, this is the stuff of movies that uh, have been made. So. Have you ever, I mean, this, I know this is very, this is very like, terrestrial this analogy i'm sure but the old bite analogy of of a cult you you know this one i was listening to an interview and they said am i in a cult well let's look at the bite acronym uh, behavior intellect uh thought and e, uh, emotion okay. do, do they control those things do they try and control those things mm. and a lot of this can be straight applied over into the narcissist experience Oh, well, yes. Narcissists make (laughs) wonderful cult leaders. Um, I I guess I would defer to, um, real quickly here, to Greg Lester's work on his power and control wheel, where he identifies um, uh, a multitude of ways that narcissists exploit power in relationships. And we're talking uh, financial manipulation, sexual manipulation, um, amongst many, many other things. So um, that is worth looking at if someone needs to know more on that. I'm going to depend on you to send me all of these resources. I will. I'll drop those all in the show notes. Yes, and everyone should just have at it if they really want to to flesh it flesh it out fully. Um, I think it's really worthy work. And also, I want to make sure this is at least my opinion. I want to make sure to admonish, I guess, everyone, or at least to ask everyone. If you feel that you are in a situation like this, don't depend on this podcast to diagnose that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Please please find a professional, find a friend, ask questions. You know, those around you who aren't in that circle of influence, they will likely have seen this a long time ago, and and many of them are probably too scared to say anything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting there are lots of folks out there that want to help that are getting the education and training they need. Right. Um, narcissism and other issues like this one are so prevalent right now that there's a waiting list. So don't wait around. If you start to see issues and uh, feel as if you need help, reach out early and often uh, because there's a good chance you're going to have to wait a minute. Yeah. And I hate that. Um, but I'm, I, I said it, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I want to go back to good. it. Because you bring up this analogy, bite, behavior, intellect, thought, and emotion. Um, As one who has walked away and then crawled back, you could say the same about Christianity. Yeah. Let, Let that sink in. And I think that is where some of this real danger is. Um, In our last episode, Jennifer talked about how in certain society... Uh, situations the narcissist can hang out and they're camouflage. Your French word of the My day. French word of the day. Please, what you said. Um, Tomorrow is je ne sais quoi. The, the, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, is that by being a follower of Christ, 
these things change. Um, but it's like that old song, I want you to want me. <laughs> you know, I don't think... I'm going to go out there and it's going to get some hate mail on this one. Mm. I don't. Spotted Goats Podcast at <laughs> gmail.com. Subject heading Hey Jeff. Hey Jeff. There we go. Um, or go to the Facebook page or the yeah, Instagram the, page. The Facebook group. By the way, I just got off all of those. So right away. Um, <laughs> I think the difference here is Jesus wants us to impact these pieces of our lives because he loves us and he wants them to move in a godly direction. He wants us to help find our way back to the garden before the narcissist showed up. And I think that's the difference. The God that I follow doesn't say change your behavior and elect your, th- uh, your thought and your emotion because he wants to control me. Offering you freedom. And I think that is exactly it. And I think that's where the difference is. Yeah. And I, and I, I really, like when you said that, I'm like, Christianity, because this is one of the two things that happens when I have conversations with individuals. One, one of well, the largest reason I hear people talk about walking away is pain. Mm-hmm. Well, how, how would a God let me hurt? Mm-hmm. Right. And then the second thing is, is well, how is this any different than you know the Hale-Bopp, you know cult, right? Or fill in the blank. I love um, the fact that their website's still active, by the way. <laughs> well, somebody's got to be doing something. I know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that in this regard, well, narcissism creates pain. Right. So I'm sure there are people that have walked away because their spouse is a narcissist. And they have said, why would God allow this pain in my life? Yeah. Marriage is supposed to be wonderful. It's this covenant relationship, you know, ordained by God. Um, and then there's also folks that walk away and say, this is no different than a cult. Yeah. But the reality is the God that I read about in the Bible is a God that says, I love you. I'm going to lay out some things you need to be aware of. And I'm going to lay out some things you need to focus on mm-hmm. because they will bring you back to the one that made you. And the interesting thing that I, I've got, I want to say this and, and, I have one other thing. God, this is such a great conversation. Um, Paul says, you know, who was a recovered narcissist. Who? Paul. (laughs) Who says, be imitators of... And look, we look at this statement and we first read narcissism when he says, "Be, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then the image of Christ is one of complete self sacrifice. Mm. So to that argument, true, authentic, authentic, yes, self-sacrifice. Authentic what self-sacrifice. makes it authentic? He meant it. <laughs> he meant it from a self posture. Like he was yes. not a de-selfed, right. non-self. He was a self that had. He was a healthy self that had a choice mm-hmm. to unself for the greater. That's amazing to call out. I don't know that I've ever put those thoughts together. That's, yeah. I'm going to be working through that Rubik cube for a long time. No, it's great. No, it's excellent. Can you say that again? I want to, I want to let that one sink in. Okay. So, well, and I don't have to go on a diatribe about this part, but the human, the human identity of Jesus has been an area of interest of mine from the jump in this work uh, because I can't really find anybody else worth following. 
So I figure he lived 33 years and that if I only had the Gospels, I would have a sense of what healthy humanity should look like, aligned with a beloved Father God. But I would argue, we could also argue real quickly that um, he died a horrific death. You know, he suffered horrifically uh, to move the needle for us so that we could have eternal clearance, right? We could have a pathway back to what was disrupted in the garden. So what I would say is that he spent at least 30 years, which was, we could say, fairly fairly mature in that time, and uh, lived a lot of similar human experiences that we do. Uh, we could say he had a blended family. Uh, we could say he lost his father. He was betrayed by people close to him. Uh, he was rejected by society. All And he, all the while, was dismantling the power structure left and right, just call, calling a spade a spade in terms of the narcissism of the time. But I would say he had a self. He was not a de-self-dependent noodle non-self. He was a self because of his relationship to his to God, which was of utter dependence and constancy, so that he could unself himself by choice on the cross. He he knew what he was sacrificing on a human level, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the Well Hebrews trend lays line. that out. Hebrew, Hebrews lays that out. The only the only way that Christ's sacrifice was of any regard Theologically speaking, if we want to say it in those terms, I know that's a, a weak way to say it, but he was a high priest only because he was fully human and had the ability to make that choice as a human being. So you which, have to which empathize means, with us. Which means he could have said no. Absolutely. Oh, oh, wow, think about that. Yeah. But And, and the empathy the feature is really important because we haven't even said that yet, and I don't need to belabor this part. Right. But narcissism by its very nature is absent of empathy and empathy is one of the higher forms um, of emotional being if you will mm-hmm. and um, so to be without it is to be somewhat hollow in a really critical area right. and and to be clear I would say he could have because he had that physical ability he never would have right there's not a Marvel multiverse where Christ said no right but but you get my point Absolutely. hopefully I'm not trying to create some vast theological heresy Facebook group here um, <laughs> so I, I will say this without going super deep into it I, I would also Sub, I would also uh, subject for for you all that if you if you do have a narcissist in your life that you are escaping from, you can still love them mm-hmm. and still not have to be subject to them. Yes, and and, and honestly, th- because that person is still a human being, we we speak like these people are Darth Vader, right? And, and well, they, we should pray for them. We should. That behavior. That behavior is in no way good. But I want to also say out loud that praise God that nobody is irredeemable. Mm -hmm. So we can look at the damage and we can look at the rubble and we can praise God that we escaped it and we can pray every day that they'll repent. And think about this. Um, You know, we know that we are made whole in our weakness. 
You're reading my notes, Jeff. Go. Oh, am I? <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Go. You know, we're, we're made whole in our weakness. Mm-hmm. And so what an amazing redemptive story to survive and come back and to heal and be closer to God as a result of life with a narcissist. Yeah. And I often think, I've told you the story about my mother-in-law when I left and walked away and how she very gently just waited and mm-hmm. prayed. And I think that, that that is a more than adequate posture as a believer. That when we do walk away, that one, the fear that will happen, be ready. It's going to happen and that's okay. And that the guilt that may come in after that, that that's okay too. We can deal with that. We'll work yeah. through that. And then once it's over, to find that forgiveness, uh, to find the ability to say, yes, you have hurt me. I don't have to stand here and and be hurt anymore, but that doesn't mean I have to love you any less. I'm not subject to your disorder. Right. And then to pray. Yeah. And to bring them to bring them forward. Because what what can happen, we think about the redemptive the redemptive situation of getting away and healing from a narcissist. But man, what a story when the narcissist is healed mm-hmm. as well. So there's opportunity for redemption and God's glory in all of this. And I think that's what is so amazing when I read the word is when I see that these, these things that happen, that a Dawkins or a Dennett um, would say, oh, it can't, there, there can be no God because of. And then we see our God stand back and go, watch me work, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's like the phoenix rising from the ashes. And so... Um, when we see something happen that is otherwise unbelievable and go, nothing is impossible for our God. But that is also something that I think folks need to be aware of as well, is that when you do escape the hands of a narcissist, let's be gentle with those folks. Mm -hmm. Let's hold them the best we can, give them the room to breathe, support them where we can, because they very well may be the next Phoenix rising from the ashes. Bingo. And so I think that that's where this community, that this culture of healing, this community of conversation really comes into play. Because now, hopefully after two episodes, we've got folks that are still listening. <laughs> and that they will sit there and think and ponder, as I have tonight, and said, huh. My mother loved me dearly and is the only child of an only child of an only child. I was put on a pedestal and I was told that no matter what, I would be it and I could not fail. And then I failed. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? I walk away. Right. But then I come back. Yeah. And I think that is a testament to the nature of God himself. I want to say, um, I want to repeat something that you said last episode, and then we'll close this out. Okay. Um, You said that you can't have wholeness without healing. And when I heard that phrase, it reminded me of the real meaning of shalom. Mm -hmm. The, The, not real meaning, but the deeper meaning of shalom is wholeness. When you greet, when they greet someone saying shalom, it's may you be whole. I hope everything's complete with you. And that is God's ideal for all of us. So first of all, Jennifer, 
This has been incredible. Thank you. Tell us about Reckoning with Dust. Okay, so I'm going to add my little PS, however, first. I know I'm watching the clock because I, I said flippantly just a moment ago, pray for them, okay? And I think within this context and, and for the listeners who are potentially churched as I was churched, that is a very flippant comment in a way. Thoughts and prayers. And Yes, and, yeah. what, and when I mean pray for them um, – and I'm happy this can segue into my writing from the standpoint of I actually do have a release coming out in the fall, and it will be about my journey into further wholeness around these very themes and how they've traveled with me. And my prayer has been ongoing over years, um, right alongside my grief, my sorrow for my losses, for my family's losses, and a receptivity to God continuing to work because the story isn't over. And I have seen him work, and I have seen him resolve aspects of the story and other aspects not. And my constant yielding back to him, whatever, this is, my life is your life. You do with me whatever you want to do, which means I have to surrender a great deal about what I thought my family life would be and what it actually becomes. And so... I do have more to to share from that standpoint of the ongoing nature of how these things travel with us, and that will come in the fall. Um, I have um, a book uh, called Reckoning with Dust, which is a series of vignettes that kind of dive into the crisis pain points of several biblical characters that I think were pivotal in the identity development of Jesus. And uh, as I examine Jesus's human experience, I see in his, in in the red letters him referencing um, other characters that I imagine, and it is my imagining. But I really tried to, to ground it in theology, and I sought after the best theologians I could to get their input, not to not to mistake and not to and not to get it wrong, even if it had some interpretive aspects. Um, so. Uh, it kind of just throws people into the inner dialogue that I'm accustomed to working with in the therapy space. When people come into the space in a crisis, we've referenced Jacob a few times. I would love to have Jacob in the room with several of my clients who are going through a midlife journey who need to kind of see a biblical forebear take that, take that journey. And so I try to encapsulate that. Um, it's it's fairly poetic, um, and not everybody's cup of tea, nor does it need to be. Um, I have a poetry journal or poetry volume out as well called Anthroprose. Um, my next book is called The Endless Abiding, because abiding in this uh, reality of constancy uh, was something I really wanted to record. I didn't want to explain it. So I had to live it, and that took a number of years. So that should be out in the fall. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. You can look at my website, jenniferparecki.com. It's P-I-R-E-C-K-I. It's always a hard word to spell. And I am on Instagram as well, uh, although somewhat sparingly to kind of get the creative work done. This has been incredible. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely, uh, hard, but wonderful conversation. No, it wasn't hard for me at all. Um, this, yeah, the, it was it was great for me to listen to. I know it's hard for you to to go through some of this sometimes, mm. but it's definitely not hard for me to listen to, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will say the same thing. 
Yeah, I'm thinking that this is going to be one that people might reference several times. Yeah. Let us know what you think uh, when you hear it, because we want to know what kind of content you're looking for. We have ideas, but we would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, whether that's on the website or on one of the socials. Um, but yeah, this has been good. It's excellent. Her thank name, you so much. Yeah, thank you. Her name is Jennifer Parecki. The book is Reckoning with Dust. Our website is spottedgoatspodcast.com, and we would love to hear your thoughts, so make sure to hit the Contact Us page there. And until then, until the next time, what do we say? Like, I'm trying to find, like, <laughs> we're trying to find... I, I, I don't know. You know, my, like my wife said, like, say goat. I, <laughs> I don't know. Watch the outro. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>